I want to preach this morning on um, the battle that we all live between belief and unbelief. Because Mark 9, 23 says, nothing's impossible to those who believe. Nothing's impossible to those who believe. I wonder if anything's included in nothing. Um, all things are possible for those who believe. All things are possible. Your marriage being healed, your finances being healed, your body being healed, your kids being saved, the addictions being broken, the depression lifting, the ministry exploding. I was sitting out in the parking lot this morning and kind of trying to get my mind ready to preach because it's always harder to preach at home than it is on the road. This is home. My wife and I are believing that God's going to help us buy a house here in January. And so it'll really be a home then, except we're hoping that the price of houses drops between now <laughs> and January. We don't want it to hurt your economy. We just want the price of houses to go down, and we want to catch it on the dip, right? Before, I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm not believing hard enough, right? Because all things are possible for those who believe. But I was doing a Google search on the history of Santa Maria, you know? If I'm going to move here, I want to know what it's like. And you know, 100 years ago, this was a booming oil town. That's what drew people here. The oil fields, they were producing a billion dollars a year almost in revenue a hundred years ago. That means underneath us, even downtown Santa Maria was known for oil wells. It was like 1,100 oil wells. So it's underneath us. So that's the ancient oil wells, ancient oil wells, ancient artesian wells of the anointing. Oil represents the anointing. We're sitting on top of something that once was, and what if we redug it and it became again? All things are possible to those who believe. Sir. All things are possible. Sir. So turn to Mark 11. I'm going to read a couple verses. In fact, I'm just going to read several stories out of the Bible. Is that okay? I'm stuck on it. I'm stuck on the Bible. Mark 11, 23. It's just truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. That's the key phrase in that verse. But believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Does not doubt in his heart. You know where doubt starts is in your heart. It's when something doesn't pan out the way you thought it would when you started. And all of a sudden that little bit of doubt starts growing in your heart. And before long, you're in full-blown doubt, and you don't believe for anything except when's the day going to end? Sure. So maybe tomorrow morning I'll have better belief because today hasn't worked out like I thought. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some stories and make a few comments and see if God would birth belief in this place today that this church could become the revival hub for this whole Santa Barbara, Santa Maria County. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
it's just kind of crazy where you're, where you're located. You know, you're right on the one-on-one. If all of you would just get one person saved this week, next week the church would double. What if it doubled every week? Then we'd have to believe for better facilities. <laughs> so you're right on the one-on-one. You're right next to Hancock, and that's a name for give me your Hancock or your signature, which I believe is a prophetic picture of God's signatures on this place. He's already given you his authority. He's already given you his word. His signature backs up if you'll just believe what it says. Come on. You're right across the street from the Olive Garden. <laughs> Come on. And olives are where you get the olive oil, the anointing. You're right, you're right in between the Olive Garden and the signature on the cornerstone that he is. <laughs> on top of what used to be a big oil field. And now it's not known so much as for oil as it is for wine. All around you is all these signs. God's just waiting on somebody to believe the signs so they could no longer point to something. They could become something. So turn with me to Matthew. It's the most read book in the Bible. Because most people don't read the Bible, so they always start with the first book of the New Testament, so that's why it's the most read. <laughs> most Christians don't read the Bible very often, so they always read Matthew over and over again. It's the most read, so I like it. I, I read the Bible, but I still read Matthew, so I don't know why I said that. Matthew 14, uh, start with, um, let's just start with verse 22. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he went, sent the crowds away. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Man, if he needs to get alone to pray, I do too. And so do you guys. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary or against it. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. That's interesting. So somewhere between four and six o'clock in the morning, which means Jesus had at least a six-hour prayer meeting by himself. Sounds like Patty. And in the prayer meeting, the father must have told him, hey, your boys are a little afraid because of the wind that's against them. They don't think they're going to make it where you sent them, so go give them some encouragement. And aren't you glad every time that contradictions come against us from the Word of God that the Father always sends the Word back to us to give us encouragement? Aren't you glad Jesus always comes walking in the midst of every storm that's against us because he never leaves us alone? He promised he'd be with us to the end. Come on. So when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. (laughs) Sounds like strong, mature disciples. (laughs) It's a ghost. What? Of course, if I saw somebody walking in the middle of the sea, I might be freaked out too. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Isn't it amazing that Jesus' word is always 
take courage. Be of good cheer. Here's good tidings. Every time he introduces things, it's never, oh, I'm sorry you're in the storm. I'm sorry it's against you. I'm sorry it's not working out. He doesn't say that. You know what he says? Hey, good tidings, great joy, be of good cheer, don't be afraid. Of course, he's a guy that never doubted. He doesn't have that book in his back pockets, 52 Reasons Why You Shouldn't Doubt. Because <laughs> he never did. Because he never stopped believing. Come on, man. He knew who he was. He knew his identity. He knew he was from the father. He knew he was going back to dad. Everything he had was from his dad. Nothing could take it from him because nobody gave it to him except his dad. So no doubt, no fear. Hey, it's me. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I like Peter, don't you guys? And then he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took a hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So for a moment, he's doing something nobody else ever did. And then the next moment, he's doing the same things that everybody does all the time. And the difference was faith or doubt. It's interesting. Look at, look at the last verse of chapter 13. This interesting verse here. He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. That's better described in Mark 6. I'm going to turn to Mark 6 and read a couple of uh, verses that describe Jesus' hometown ministry. That's when I said to you it's harder to preach at home. It's because it is. Sir. It's easier when I preach with people I don't know because my belief is off the charts. When you know people and you know their stuff and you know their problems and you know their struggles that go on day after day, week after week, month after month, it's hard to keep the belief on overflow when you don't see the belief working in their lives personally. Does that make sense? So Jesus' hometown doing ministry in Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he wondered at their unbelief. He was going around the villages teaching. Interesting story. Now I want you to turn back to Matthew 19. Or excuse me, Matthew 17. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. It's also in Mark 9, but I like this one today. Matthew 17, verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and he's very ill for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him. 
The demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, How come we could not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. <laughs> For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Interesting. Can I do one more story? Aren't these encouraging? Yes. Mark 4. One more story. Mark 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. That day could be any day. If he's never going to leave us, right? He's, who said He said he would never leave us. He'd be with us to the end. So any day that we're alive, it's that day. And if we're listening to him, he's going to get us through that day because he has a destiny for all of us, right? Come on. Is his destiny to shine through us and flow through us and love through us so everybody around us is impacted with the God who lives inside of us? Is that his destiny for all of us? It's not survival. Oh, I hope I can hold on long enough till he comes back. What if he already lives in you? He said, hey, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and there are other boats with him as well. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. It seems like every time Jesus says something or the Father says something, there's always something that comes up. And the waters were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> so you got options here. Either you believe that the father said, Jesus, tell him we're going to the other side. So Jesus said it because he only said what he heard his dad tell him to say because he was a great honor of his father. Come on. So he believed it. Get in the boat, boys. We're going to the other side. So he believed it so much. It didn't matter what blew up. In the meantime, he's going to catch a rest. And they're going to think they're perishing. One of them's in belief, and the other one's probably in unbelief or doubt or fear. Come on, are you with me? Yes, and he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush. Isn't that amazing? Just to the sea? Hush. Be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? All these stories. All these stories. Jesus walking on the water and Peter sees him and everybody's afraid. But Peter says, if that's really you, Lord, call me. And he gets out, lives a supernatural lifestyle. Jesus in his hometown, he can't do much because of unbelief. Peter sinks because of unbelief. The disciples are in fear because of unbelief. What if we just believed? Yes. Now, I'm glad for God's intervention. Are you guys glad that even when we don't believe that he gives us another chance? How many of you glad that, I mean, in, in the story of Peter, aren't you glad God didn't look at him and say, too bad? In fact, let me help you get down quicker so you can die sooner and push him. No. Aren't you glad there's divine intervention even when we don't believe? Come on. 
Aren't you glad there's divine intervention even when the disciples have Jesus sleeping in the same boat they're supposedly perishing in and he gets up and he stops the storm? He doesn't always stop the storm. But I'm thankful for times that he does. Come on. This morning I'm, I'm, I'm drinking coffee and reading my Bible and trying to think about how do I share with Cornerstone Church and my wife texts me and says, there's been an accident. What, honey? <laughs> well, we have 14 grandkids with our 15th coming in a couple months, right? Haley's number 15. We don't know if he's Micah or Judah. <laughs> I don't really care. I just want to see him and hold him. And my wife texts me and says, little Jeremiah had coffee spilled on him and his skin's peeling off his back and they have an IV in him and they're rushing him to Mercy Children's Hospital and it's like a storm. Come on, I'm, I got my peace on, I'm drinking coffee, sharing my faith with the dude next to me, eating some eggs and all of a sudden the text comes and it's a storm and the enemy always tries to bring something up to get you to go into doubt, fear, and unbelief. Come on, am I right? I mean, does it ever end? Does it ever end? The waves will never stop. So we can either view the waves as refreshing times, because when something's pushing against you, it means you must be going in the right direction, because this world is not going in the right direction. Come on. And if you're not feeling any contradiction or any conflict or any confusion or any distraction, probably you're not really making much of a threat. Sir. Am I right? Yes, sir. So my wife says, I can't go to church. I'm a little frazzled, blah, blah, blah. So she's home doing what Mimi does. <laughs> Worried about the kids and... Here I am walking on the water because I know that JJ's going to be okay and it's going to make Kristen and Jason's faith stronger. Come on, you guys. So there's a lot of criticism to people that actually believe that God's word is real. If you actually believe that God's word is real and that if, the, if Jesus actually said you come, you could actually walk on the water. In essence, Peter was walking on the word of God. He wasn't walking on the water. He's walking on God's word. Because if God didn't say come, the water, it wouldn't take even a half of a step to sink. But when God's word says comes, he's walking on the word. And anytime you're in belief, it's actually you're walking on the word. You're walking on the word. Does that make sense, you guys? So there's a lot of criticism. Well, you just believe the word too much. Well, you just believe in... Yeah. And you know what my opinion is? You shouldn't criticize anybody unless you're doing what they're doing. And nobody in that boat had any right to criticize Peter for sink because none of them got out and walked some on the water. So until you're at least doing what somebody else is doing, you probably should keep your mouth shut. Come on. I think we have to earn our right to have an opinion. I always tell my kids when they were little, I don't tell them that anymore because it doesn't work. Now they're all old like Chad. But when they were little, you're not old enough to have an opinion on this yet. <laughs> I would say that because they hadn't paid for it. Come on. So Peter's out there walking supernaturally and what made it possible for him to work, walk supernaturally? First of all, he saw that it was the Lord. 
Come on. And you are what you see. You become what you're gazing at. And, and then he heard the word of the Lord. And my sheep hear my voice. Come on. And we live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. So he sees him. He hears him. And as long as that's his focus, the voice of God, the vision of God, his faith is being perfected. And nothing's impossible for those who believe. What is that? What is belief? Perfected faith. Come on, you guys. What is belief? Faith that's being perfected in the journey against the contradictions. Is this making sense to anybody? So he's got his eyes laser locked on Jesus, and all of a sudden he sees the storm. He sees the wind. He sees something besides what he's pursuing. I'm sitting out here in the parking lot today and envisioning what would happen if the news spread of my little grandson's burn. I pull in the parking lot, and two people come up to me and say, I'm sorry about your grandson. What? What if, what if the good things God's doing spread as fast as the calamities that the devil does? What, what if everybody in this church room seated here next week came together and the news spread so fast that the person that you work next to accepted Christ and the person that you live next to was healed? And the word spread so fast that there was such a that there was such a flood of excitement and anticipation of what God's doing. See, I think news can travel fast, positive or negative. I envision that this gym and these classrooms and this sanctuary were filled up three or four times a weekend, and no longer could you even house everybody here that people were being saved and healed and set free from this church that you had to plant other locations around this valley. And see, I dream that because I don't live here full time, so I got lots of belief for that. Why not start it on Father's Day? Why not start believing that what God's desire is for this city could be your desires if you just believed it? Am I right, church? You see, I don't think Peter had willpower when he got out of the water. I think he had faith power. I think there's a big difference between willpower. Willpower is dependent on your will, but faith power is dependent on God's will. I really believe that faith is believing God's going to do what his will is, and I guarantee his will is what his word says. And when his word says come, nothing can stop that until you stop believing. How many of you this morning have impossible things in your life right now in this room? Lots of you. How many have financial pressure? Come on, be honest. How many have some financial pressure? Yeah, about a third or 45% of you. Why don't you do something different? Why don't you give some more away so you can get out of it? Oh, you're preaching about money. No, I'm not. I'm preaching about being blessed. And as long as you hold on to what you got, you don't have room for what he has. I live on 3%. I give away 97%. Well, how do you do that? He just keeps giving me more the more I give. Ninety-seven percent? 
What about tithe? I thought we were only supposed to give him 10%. That's your problem. <laughs> what if you gave him everything? I wonder if he would hold anything back. There's no, there's no lack here. The lack is in our belief that God's word really is his word. That's the lack. If everybody here actually believed that God blesses those who believe his word, we'd be the most generous giving people on the planet instead of wondering how we're going to make it. Aren't I preaching so good? I can tell the ones that give and the ones who don't by looking at your faces. And I'm not getting nothing out of this. I just know that we should be living in the blessings of God and not in the grind of life. Does this make sense? Let me make a couple more comments on this story. Peter started off supernatural as long as he believed, but he ended up crashing and burning when he stopped believing. And the thing that happened was his sight got off of God and got on circumstances. And when sight got on circumstances, then fear came in. And Jesus said it, doubt and faithless. So once sight gets off of the word of God, that's when fear and doubt come in. And when fear and doubt come in, that's when your faith becomes so small that now you sink like everybody around you instead of being the, the pillar of hope that everybody can cling to when they see that you're not sinking when the storms of life hit like everybody else sinks. And the only difference is what is your focus? What do you believe? What do you really believe? I'm talking about the battle between belief and unbelief. Are you with me? <laughs> then the next story was... Jesus' hometown, Nazareth Church, and he couldn't do very many mighty miracles there. He couldn't help very many people. He laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled at their unbelief. And this is what I believe what happened there. This is his hometown. Because of their unbelief, there were people there that didn't get healed. There were paralytics that didn't get off a mass. There were blind people that didn't see. There were deaf people that didn't hear. There were people with cancer that didn't get healed, and it wasn't on Jesus because the Scripture says it was because of their unbelief. Their unbelief. I wonder if the reason why Cornerstone Church isn't changing this city, it's not on God's end. Come on. It's his will that none should perish, that all should come to repentance, right? So on God's end, the whole city's already saved and healed. Because when you read Isaiah 53, not only did he carry our sins and our, and our iniquity, but he carried our pain, our disease, our sickness. He's already done it all. The Father sees the whole city of Santa Maria saved and healed and set free. But we need to believe so we can start seeing what he already sees. And you can't really test what you believe until you actually step out. There has to be action to your faith or it's not faith. It's just empty words. Come on, you guys. He, Isaiah 29 says that people honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. But your life follows the direction of what your heart is doing. And if your heart just believes, well, I believe God's good and he's going to get me to heaven, but I don't really believe he can do what his word says. So I need to hold on to mine. See, that's a lie from the pit of hell. The only thing you should be holding on to is him. You should be holding everything else lightly. Amen. A month ago, I was in Columbus, Ohio, in a church that 
a pastor friend of mine named Brad started 14 years ago in his living room with six people. And now they run over 700. And it was like walking into a, a whirlwind of God's glory. No religious spirits. Everybody anticipating the move of God. Brad said it was actually the first like revival thing he had done. And he didn't know how the evening services would go. And every evening it got more crowded for we almost ran out of room in the sanctuary in evening services, not Sunday morning, evening services. This is a Nazarene church. <laughs> and I was preaching one night on faith that believes. And I said, who needs a miracle? People stood up. I said, well, you don't need to come up here. The miracle worker's here. He's in the room. Let's just believe he's going to touch you. And I prayed a prayer. Now I start getting all these emails from Pastor Brad, these people that were healed that night, and nobody touched them except for God because somebody in the room must have believed. And I got this one long text from this lady named Maria, and this is what she says. Up until that night, Pastor Dan, and now I'm legally called pastor. I wasn't then, but now I am. I'm legal. I have a license. I don't have it yet, but I have it. You get it? I don't know where it is. They have it. Okay. And she goes, 18 years, bipolar. 17 years, food addiction. Eight years, narcotic addiction. Four years, a pain medic, medical addiction, pain medicine. Until that night when I stood up. And you said, open your hands like Chad did this morning and receive the blessing of God. And I wonder if we really believe that or if we just go through the motions. Because the blessing of God is not to leave you in your position you're at. The blessing of God is to take you to the position where he's at. She sends me this long email. She goes, that night, God set me free. I haven't had one episode of manic depression or bipolarism. I'm off of all my medicine. I don't have any food addiction. I'm already losing weight. I don't have any pain medical. I'm not coming off. I haven't had any, like... What the, the, the things of coming off. I haven't had anything happen. It's like I'm a brand new person and all I did was stand up and believe. That was a month ago. And then three weeks ago, I was in Maryville, Missouri. Little tiny church. Ooh, makes your church look like a mega church. <laughs> and, and I was preaching and at the end of the service, the Holy Spirit said, sit down. So I sit down. What do you want me to do? Ask if anybody wants to get saved. That's a novel idea. <laughs> what if anybody wants to get saved in a church anymore? Or if we just come to be entertained? I wonder if there's any belief in anybody that somebody could get saved today and their whole life could be different for eternity. Whoa, would that make it exciting to come to church? Well, we don't need to be saved. We're all Christians. That's the whole problem. Because if we really were Christians, we want everybody else to have what we have. So half the crowd would need to be saved if we really were believing. I just want it to sink in a little bit. Because it is a sword. And it is salty. Am I really a Christian? Do I attract sinners because they see hope in me that they're all looking for? Or am I just needing a fix to make it through the next week, hoping that someday the waves will stop 
I'm preaching so good. So I said, hey, I said, does anybody here want to get saved? 29-year-old girl came running to the front weeping. Knees, kneels at the altar. And then a 22-year-old young man comes running forward. These, they ran. All I did was sit down. There was no music. There was no like holding the key so it sounds cool like Bethel. There was none of that. There was no fog lights. There was nothing. Just I sat, I sat down because Holy Spirit says, sit down. Does anybody want to get saved? <laughs> and me, there's four or five around both of them. Their tears are dropping on the altar. Well, that's a good sight. They went back to their seats. I'm thinking, man, what a good time to end the service. <laughs> Two people got saved. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, people are going to get healed now. So just believe my word. You sure? Yep. Okay, God, you're going to have to do this. I can't pull it off. I'm walking with you. What do you want me to do? He says, you just sit there and listen and respond with faith. Okay, this is weird. The gal that came forward and got saved raised her hands. Hey, Pastor Dan, they always call me Pastor. I'm legal now. You can call me Pastor. <laughs> I was in a car wreck four years ago, and they had to rebuild my face with titanium cheekbones because all my eye sockets were crushed. And ever since the last four years, I have double vision, and I see two of you. And I just gave my life to Jesus, but I believe God could heal my eyes. Would you pray for me? I said, come up here real fast. She ran up front, and she knelt down in front of me on my chair on the platform. I said, take off your glasses, honey. In Jesus' name, thank you that you healed her the same time you saved her on the cross. I just need to believe what your word says and quit trying to muster up something that's already happened. I just need to start being a believer. In Jesus' name, go back to your seat, honey. I tried to kind of just kind of like, you know, in church, well, we don't really expect it to happen then. We did the good, holy thing. We prayed. We believed. Go back to your seat. And we'll get a report maybe in six months. Because we're such good water walkers. All of a sudden, I see her crying, talking to her mom. Her mom's the one that brought her to church. She's crying. I said, why are you crying? She goes, you're not double. There's one of you. <laughs> what? I don't see double. What? I don't see double. God healed you? I'm, I'm believing now. <laughs> and I checked with the pastor 10 days after that service. She hasn't seen double one time. All I did, listen, all I did was believe. I didn't pray strong. I didn't like, Lord, come on, now do it. It's time. It's, we prayed eight times, nothing happened. This is the time, night, every night time. It's like a slot machine. Come on. Or is every time the first time. And you follow the word and you get out of the boat. And as long as the word says, sit down and do what I say and sit down and I'm going to heal people and sit down. And what if you just keep following the word? What if your focus stays on Jesus? What if it's always the first time? What if you're always living in first love? Come on, you guys. What if, what if it's always like that? And we're the ones who stop it from always being like that. <laughs> this is so good. Yeah. 
so she's healed. A skeptic gets up and leaves, thinks I'm manipulating the service. I'm sitting down, waiting for God to do something. I'm manipulating. You get it? There's a tendency when you see that attitude in people, I don't want to offend, I can't afford to lose a tither. Probably they're not tithing or they wouldn't have left. So then this lady stands up and her husband gives me $100 a month. He owns a body shop. He's one of my partners. His name is Dallas. Her name is Vicky. She goes, hey, I have this corporal tunnel in my arms. I can't bend my arms. They tingle. I can't feel my fingers. They're asleep. Would you pray for me? I said, come on up. Most of the time I don't have them come up, but I'm being obedient. Sometimes you can just have them stand and pray, but sometimes the Holy Spirit will sit down and have them come up. I don't know why he does it. His ways are not my ways. Come on, you guys. But I wonder if we live intimate enough with him where we could actually hear what he wants to do right now. Because now is the time. Today is the day. Today's the day. It's not how he did it last week. It's how he wants to do it right now. He's like the wind. She comes up, pray with her, and the Lord told me, tell her to take him off. She's healed. Now, I have a choice to make. I think you might be healed. Why don't you see? I've done that one. Nothing ever happens. I think you might be is a lack of faith. But if the Holy Spirit says, I've healed her, tell her to take them off. She did. She goes, oh, my God. I can feel my fingers are not asleep. She was healed. Then an old lady sitting two rows back. She goes, that lady who had titanium cheekbones, I have titanium legs. When I was a young lady, I was in a car crash. I'm the bionic woman, and I can't raise my arms, or I can't bend my legs, and I'm in pain. <laughs> well, my face's pretty good. Double vision, corporal tunnel, tight. Bionic woman's not a big deal now. So I said, get up. So she gets up. She can't walk. She's on her walker. She gets on the front row. I come down. I go down to her because bionic. She needs help. She can't get up on the platform. So I go down. I say, so your legs are different lengths? Yes. Well, hold them out there. So she holds me. I start praying. And, you know, her legs start getting a little closer to the same length. And, and, and then, listen to this. Then she gets up and starts walking around, swinging her arms. And, and she's walking without her walker all around the sanctuary. Little tiny town, little church, about 50 people, little sanctuary that the air conditioner can't keep up. And the healings went on that night for about two and a half hours. And I wonder if God wants to do that every time. If unbelief wouldn't stop him from doing mighty miracles. I'm preaching the truth, you guys. I'm not trying to hype up emotion. You guys are either on the verge of a great awakening and a great revival and a great movement of the kingdom of God here, or you're on the verge of more and more people losing hope because there's no middle ground. You're either going to go this way or that way. couple weeks ago, my last meeting before I went on my break, I was in Houston, uh, Hastings, Nebraska. 
And it was so hot. It, somebody had an idea to do a citywide meeting in a tent. And it's not Santa Barbara. It's not Santa Maria. It's not the five cities where you guys don't even know what summer is. It's like, it's 92 degrees with 90% humidity. And I'm built for winter. <laughs> Insulation, man. 45 is perfect for me, okay? It's double my perfect, okay? So I'm there and I'm preaching and first service I preached on something I don't remember and the guy that was kind of overseeing it was the Salvation Army Major. There was actually 15 pastors present. It was good from all the different denominations. It was good. But the second night he says, well, Dan hadn't preached nothing I thought he would preach. And I said, well, praise God. That's a good way to be introduced. So I don't know what he's going to preach, but let's just trust God. And so I got up and said, well, I hope I don't let you down. I don't want to preach what you thought I'd preach. That's what I said. And I preached on why God heals. We got to the end of the service. And I said, so who needs a miracle? Isn't it amazing that most people in the church need a miracle? What if everybody in the church just started believing? Well, Dan, we did that and we lost her. She died. Well, Dan, we believed and we lost her. She had cancer. Well, Dan, we believed and she died of a heart attack. Well, Dan... The waves will never stop. The question is, will the believers never stop? That's a really good point. I never heard that before. That's good. So I said, who needs a miracle? Most of them are old. <laughs> there was like a handful of people in their 20s and 18, and about 90% of them were 65 and older. So they need miracles. <laughs> Stand up. I <laughs> can't lay hands on all of them. I'm way too hot. I don't want to pass out and need defibrillation because I'm dying of a heat stroke. So I just said, I'm going to pray a prayer of faith, which I needed to, for myself and them. <laughs> so, and the moment I started praying the prayer of faith, a cool breeze blew through the tent. It was amazing. It was kind of freaky. Judy said, did you feel that? Yeah, it's like I got goosebumps. The moment I started praying the prayer of faith, yeah, my flesh said, let's get out of here. Let's go to Perkins. It's air-conditioned. Let's get some omelets. Let's... But the Spirit says, you need to pray the prayer of faith. You can't preach my word without demonstrating what my word says. That's unbelief. That's what most of the church does. We preach theories and history lessons, but nobody steps out of the boat. So... In Jesus' name, I believe that God's sacrifice on the cross 2,000 years ago, he's already healed you, so why don't you just accept it now? Let's start believing the word instead of trying to convince the word that we really want to believe it. Let's just actually believe that by his stripes you were healed. Let's believe it right now in Jesus' name. And I prayed that prayer. That was how long the prayer was. I was sitting on my chair. Anybody get healed? See, you see, you know, the tendency is when you don't really believe the word, you pray the prayer of faith and said, okay, you're dismissed. We'll see you all next week. And everybody leaves wondering, I wonder if this is even real, if we're just going through the motions. Or, now how many of you just got healed? Oh. And it's real quiet. Like this. Is there a point to this sermon? Yeah. Anybody get healed? A lady stood up crying. I said, well, you're crying. Why are you crying? I don't have a headache. Well, okay, that's good. 
No, you don't understand. I've had a headache for 50 years. It's gone. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Because I don't know if she's telling the truth. Come on. Some people want attention. Some people say stuff. They do. There's ugly stuff that goes on, right, in church. But her neighbor is one of my partners that gives us $50,000 a year. He mows her yard because her husband died nine months ago of cancer, and he knows she's had headaches for 50 years. And she stands up and says, I don't have a headache. (laughs) And then one by one by one by one by one all over the tent from the front row to the back row. And I said, well, how many of you got healed tonight? And they stood up, and I couldn't hardly see anybody that wasn't standing up. And all I did was just say a short little prayer of belief. Thanking God that he loved us so much that he sent his son to take our sins and our depressions and our carnality and our pains and our sickness and our disease. And the same word, he carried all of them away. He just didn't come to take our sickness and our carnality. He came to solve everything that was wrong with us because of the fall of man and the curse of sin. And I believed it when it was 92. Come on, church. A couple years ago, I was doing a meeting in um, Stevensville, Texas. Chad, can I have a chair? a stool or something. I got it. I got it. I got it. No? Are you running? He can run, man. That's a runner. I don't know what time we're supposed to be done. I asked Chad last night when we were eating. He said, Chad, I said, Chad, you want 15, 20 minutes? And he goes, So it's his fault. (laughs) He said, follow the Spirit. And I've been doing my best to follow the Spirit. So a couple years ago, I was in Stevensville, Texas. And it was like a citywide revival. The Assembly of God hosted it, but there was five denominations and several churches visiting. It was a good crowd. And it was the night that I was getting ready to finish my revival. And my daughter, April, called me. And she said, Daddy, Lincoln's sick. She'd just given birth to Lincoln, Andrew, one of my grandsons. He's in an incubator. They have an IV in his head. He's got something wrong with his blood. I can't even hold him, Dad. You know what I originally, you know what I wanted to do immediately? Tell him I can't preach. Because sometimes when the waves come, the first reaction is always fear. Unless you're really focused on the one calling you through the waves. Am I right? So this is not just me talking about how God does all this stuff. I live just like you do. And I want to go home because I'm in fear. Because I see that report. And not what God's been doing every night in that meeting. Isn't that how quickly our vision can be taken off of the awakening and the revival that could change a city? Just one phone call. So I remember calling April, and she's crying on the phone. The Holy Spirit says, I want you to finish the meeting, 
You can start driving home after church. Just don't worry. So I, I finished preaching. It was hard. I remember that night I drove up to North Texas after church. I drove like four hours, three and a half hours. I was so tired. Got in about 1.30 in the morning. Then I, I, I found a hotel and I got in my room. I laid there on the bed and the Holy Spirit says, now, listen to me. Remember when I called you to do this ministry? Yes. Remember I told you if you would seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I'd take care of your kids and your grandkids. That wasn't your responsibility. It's mine. You're chasing after what I called you to do. I'm going to take care of your kids. He, told, he reminded me of my prayer that he said he answered. I said, okay, God, I got it. Then he said this. He said, when you get home tomorrow, Lincoln's going to be fine. In fact, April hadn't even been able to hold him, but when you walk in that incubator room, the nurses are going to let you hold that baby, and they're going to take that IV out. But that's not even the good part. I'm going to heal your daughter's depression because of this. The Lord's telling me this at 2 in the morning when I'm just exhausted trying to get home because of fear-based pawpaw. So I went to sleep, woke up at 5, drove my, you know, hour and a half, six and a half hours, drove into Latham Medical Center, walked right into the ICU where little Lincoln's got the IV in his head, and right when I walk in, the nurse is pulling the IV out and says, oh, you're the grandpa, would you like to hold him? And that Christmas time, our family was sitting in a circle, and we always share what we're thankful for at Christmas when we're together. And my daughter, April, when it came to her turn, she said she started crying. Her little lips started quivering. And she said, when Lincoln got sick and God healed him, he didn't just heal my son. He took my depression away. It's so much more fun being a believer that believes. What if I'd have said, no, I don't believe that, God. I'm leaving the meeting. Somebody else can finish it. I'm going to run home in fear. Lincoln may have been in that incubator for days. What if he's just waiting on somebody to believe? I remember some years ago when my son was 16. He's 34 now, I think, or 33. He's old. He's double 16. <laughs> <clears throat> and I, I was worried about him because he was backslidden. He was away from God. It's the worst pain when your kids are away from God. Yeah. And we have a choice to make when they're away from God. Either we become better believers or better worriers because there's no middle ground, is there? So I remember I went up to the, the college to pray at an all-night prayer meeting, and I was just weeping. I was on the floor, and all these college kids were pounding on my back praying. I said, I'm praying for my son, Chad. I want him to be saved. I want him to come back to God. God's got a plan for him. He's going to change the world. God's got his anointing on my boy. I, wanted, I just want to believe. We prayed. It's like one in the morning. They, they were going to go all night. I'm old. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, go home. I've got your boy. Go home and just believe. I've saved him. I'm bringing him back. I'm putting a call on him. You're not going to believe what I'm going to do with that young man. Just, just believe what you prayed. I've already answered it. So I went home, got in my bed. The next night I went to another prayer meeting not to pray for my son because I was believing. I was a believer now that believed. 
And I was sitting in this prayer meeting, and I heard my son, while he was on a knee brace, his knee had acted up, and he came walking in on his crutches at this prayer meeting, and nobody invited him. And we got ready to pray, and I saw him go down to the second row from the front on the left side of our sanctuary as you're looking out to the front. And he knelt down, and I heard him pray this prayer. Father, I probably don't deserve to feel you, but if you'll change me and make me holy like you are, I'll serve you the rest of my life. That happened the next night after God says, you can go home now. I got you, boy. Just believe. He's, he's never recovered from that prayer. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I'm trying to end with Father's Day stories. And my daughter, Kristen, she had a couple of spells that were really hard. Broke me. Broke me. One night I was crying. I said, God, why aren't you hearing this? She's in trouble. And God says, I've heard it. Why don't you start believing? I said, I'm trying, God, but it seems like the more I pray, the harder it gets. It seems like the more I pray, the bigger the waves get. It seems like the more I try, the harder. I know, son, I've already heard you. Why don't you just believe what you're praying? Okay, Dad. I believe. I'll never forget this night. It's about two in the morning. I'm laying there with my wife. We're asleep. My wayward daughter comes walking in my room at two in the morning. Daddy, I'm sorry. I want to get right with God. <laughs> Last story. My boy Josh, he's my baby. He's 6'5", 300, but he's my baby. <laughs> he, he, he was on fire as a young man. Him and Chad would lead Bible studies at school, and there'd be hundreds of kids come to the high schools. And they weren't working for a church. They were just one of the students. They went to a Christian school for a while, but they thought all the people at the Christian school weren't really Christian, so they wanted to go back to the normal school so they could be witnesses. They were on fire. Josh was on fire and he got married. He was on fire. But over time, running a business and having kids and having stress with marriage, you know life, life, waves, waves, waves. Everything this world is designed to do to take your eyes off the one that gives you the faith that believes, right? This world is not designed to equip you with more faith. This world is designed by the God of this world to steal your faith. And so he goes into a nine-and-a-half-year backslidden state where he's drinking and he doesn't feel comfortable around his dad. And I don't even have to say anything to him. You see, when you're living in the light and somebody's got dark in them, they don't feel comfortable when they know you. Now, you can be in the light around people that are lost and they don't know you and that light will draw them. But when people have been in the light and now they've walked out of the light, it kind of makes them feel sick. And so I go through this time where my ministry is exploding and I'm seeing miracles, but my son, man, my son, you know, my son. In 3 John, when it says there's no greater joy to hear that your kids are walking in the truth, but there's no greater pain to hear they're not. And I remember last year, I was, I was, I was driving home 
And I stopped in Laramie, Wyoming on the way home. And I was praying about my own condition because I had some stuff going on that I don't have anymore, but I did then. And I remember saying, Lord, what about Josh? Chad's on fire. Kristen's on fire. April's on fire. When Josh was young, he was the most on fire. What about Josh? What happened? When are you going to bring him back? I'll never forget this night. I remember I ordered Domino's pizza with one of their salads, and it came soggy. It's stupid. Order salad, and they deliver it to a hotel, and it's, ugh. I just remember the salad. I couldn't eat the salad, so I just ate the good stuff, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit says, I've heard your prayer for Josh. I'm bringing Josh home. Why don't you just believe what you're praying? Why don't you get your eyes off the circumstances, and why don't you get them on what my word says? Okay, God, I believe. I got home a day and a half later. I didn't know this. The night that I was in that Hampton Inn in Laramie, Wyoming, eating the soggy lettuce and the pizza, that morning my son had got up and he hadn't read his Bible in a decade. And he was ready to quit. He didn't know how to go on with his marriage. He didn't know how to go on with his business. He was miserable because when you've been in the light and you get out, you're miserable. And he got up the morning that I pulled. And the only reason I pulled into Laramie is because it's blizzard. They closed the interstate. I was going to drive all the way to um, where Cabela started in Sydney, Nebraska. But I had to stop in Laramie because they closed the interstate because of a blizzard. And Laramie is where I got called to this full-time ministry back in 2008 at the same town where I'm stranded because of a blizzard. And I found out when I got home, my boy couldn't wait to see me. He said, Dad, on March 6th, that was the day I was stranded. I got up to read my Bible, Dad, and I just told God I can't go on unless you come back to me and give me another chance. And he said, Dad, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like the whole room filled with God's glory. My boy has not ever been the same. I mean, he prays about, where should I park in the Walmart parking lot? Because I know somebody's <laughs> going to need prayer. He's on fire. And he got on fire the day that God says, why don't you stop worrying and just believe? Now, I want to propose something to you, Santa Maria Cornerstonians. I don't, I don't like being all cry like this. This is stupid. I don't know why I'm crying, but it's not, I'm not sad. I'm really happy. What would happen if you became a believer's church? I mean it. Where you did things that didn't make any sense, except you knew it was God because you believed. You served when you didn't think you had any energy. You gave when you think you had nothing to give. You, you believed when it was against all odds. You just, all of a sudden, it's like you tore off this old paradigm. And you say, you know, God's waiting on something to happen here to change this city. Why wouldn't he use us if we just started believing? Why couldn't it start on Father's Day? I'm not talking about mothers can't be included. We need mothers too. Come on. <laughs> Can we end the service this way? Would you, would you do this for me? If you want to um, 
If you want to give birth to a movement of belief that doesn't doubt, I didn't even have time to go into the Matthew 17. They had been given authority in Matthew 10 to cast out demons and heal all sickness. And seven chapters later, that why couldn't we do it? Jesus said very clearly, because of your unbelief. It wasn't because they didn't have the power and the authority. They just didn't believe. So, so I want to I ask you to, to come join me in the front if you're willing to become believers that believe against all odds, that no wave, no lack of results, no famine in the land, no discouragement, no distraction could ever talk you out of it. You're going to be a believer that believes against all odds that revival and awakening can come to this city through this church and you people. If you want that, would you come? I want to pray over you if that's what you really want. Tell me the Kleenexes, buddy. We want to be believers that believe. We don't want to believe with lip service. We want to believe with heart allegiance and action that just follows and does what the Word says. Thank you, God, for calling people to this. We're not after goosebumps. We're not after an easy road. We actually would like to be a part of your dream and your vision and your plan. Cornerstone. Santa Maria. What's going to happen, God, when there's 5,000, 10,000 people here because faith that believes always releases hope and the miraculous is very at home in belief that believes. So, Father, it's not coincidence that it's Father's Day. You had this planned. I'm not happy, God, that little JJ got hurt this morning, but it's not going to stop me from believing. You're going to heal him. He's not going to have scarring. He's a little eight-month-old little boy, and he's going to be healed in Jesus' name. I already believe it. Lord, my focus is really on the people in this room. There's people beat up here, beat up with pressure, beat up with discouragement, beat up with what's next. What do I try next? I don't know what to do. And the work of us is to believe. That's what you want us to do. You want us to believe. So Lord, I curse unbelief. When Abraham believed God's voice, God says, okay, that's what righteousness is. So to not believe is unrighteousness and Maybe it's the worst sin for somebody that's a believer not to believe. That might be the worst sin because believing is righteousness. So God, I just pray that you would seal us in belief today. We don't need a lot of people. We need a lot of belief. 120 will do. Change the world. I pray for courage for people, God, that 40, 50% of the crowd says, I have financial pressure. I pray for courage for them to give their way out of this pressure. 
I pray you give them courage to trust you. Lord, you had to teach me. You can teach anybody. We can trust you with our provision. We can trust you with our future. Lord, there's people here that have lost loved ones. People that aren't walking in the flame of your revival. I pray we would believe you've heard the prayers. I pray we would believe your word. There's people here, God, with financial and physical and relational, all kinds of conditions in this room, God. I pray right now we just receive your healing right now. You took our iniquity. You took our sins. You took our pains. You took our diseases and our sicknesses. You took them. You carried them away. Because by your stripes we were healed. So help us to believe your word. One of your covenant names is Jehovah Rapha. I'm the Lord that heals you. But your name hadn't changed. And your word and you can't be separated because you are who your word says you are. You can't lie. And we believe it. So I pray blessing over Cornerstone Church. I pray multiplication of the kingdom over Cornerstone Church. I pray, pray a fresh blessing over Chad and Haley and the staff here. And Lord, I just pray your anointing just explodes on this church, God. I, I pray for an awakening that has a ripple effect around the country. Let us be believers that believe. I pray, God, that the good news of the stories would become like wildfire. Let the stories become so prevalent because you're doing so much in our midst because we believe and we don't doubt. We don't live in fear. We live in expectation. I pray a blessing over every person here, every father, every grandfather, every mother, every grandma, every daughter, every son. And I just pray that your manifest presence would guide this house. I pray that fire would be here, the fire of your presence. I pray from the youngest children, I watched all those eyes, those beautiful kids tonight, to the oldest person everywhere in between. I pray we'd be people of one book, of one faith, of one belief. And we'd be doers of this word, and we wouldn't doubt it. We'd believe it against all odds. I thank you, God, for Father's Day. Some of us haven't had good fathers, but we've all had you if we're believers. So thank you for Father's Day. Thank you for fathering us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Everybody, I want I want you to I want you to look at me very very carefully. If you don't know that you're a, a, a believer, please don't leave yet. Please don't leave. If you're not a believer, if you if you don't know that you're a son or a daughter of God and you want to be in the family of God for real, you don't want to just be a church person. You want to be in a relationship with God. 
and you don't know that, but you want to give your life to God. Is there anybody here you raise your hand and say, I want to give my life to God today. I want to become a believer. Anybody here? You say, I want to be a believer. Where? Where? I, you're pointing, but I don't know. You do? Come up here. Please, come here. I want you to come to me. I just want you to stand here. We're going to surround you, okay? You just stand right here. You're good. This is good. This is good. Don't be afraid. Anybody, this lady wants to give her life to God. Anybody else, anybody else in this room, you say, I want to be a believer. I really do. I don't want to just go through the motions and come to church because it's something you do. I want to have a real relationship with God who lives in me. Anybody else? You say, Brother Dan, I want that. Any, who, who are you pointing at? Somebody's pointing. Who? You want to or no? No. Okay. I, I don't want to miss anybody. I don't want to. Are you wanting to give your life to Jesus? Amen. Praise God. Would you hold each other's hand? Would you do that? Anybody else? You want to give your life to Jesus? You want to give your life to Jesus, honey? You want to? Amen. Hold her hand. Hold her hand. Her hand. Her hand. Yes. Anybody else? It's a good time to give your life to Jesus. What a way to start believing. Come on. Anybody else? This is just us. We're family. We really are. We're really family now. You want to give your life to Jesus? You really do. No, no game. Just all in. Trust Jesus. Praise God. Anybody else? It's a good day to become a Christian. Because it's today. Today's the day. Amen. Cornerstone. This is the way it starts. One person's worth the whole world to God. You precious ladies are worth the whole world to God. The whole world to God. So I want, I want some ladies to come up and stand behind him and put your hands on him. And I'm going to pray over him. And then we're going to lead him in a prayer here in a minute, okay? This is so wonderful. God, I just want to thank you for your love. It draws us. You're irresistible to us, Father. Jesus, thank you for dying for us so we could live. So I just pray over every one of these precious ladies right now, God, right now in Jesus' name, that they would feel your love, that they would know you're real, that they would trust you with their life, and that from now on it would be totally different for the rest of their life. So I want all of you to look at me. Can you look at me? Just look in my eyes. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, okay? And it's not my prayer, it's your prayer. But he hears it. He likes it when we talk to him. So would you just repeat after me? Just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I confess my sins. Forgive me of all my sins. Come into me and live in me. I give you everything. I'm going to live for you now. Teach me your word. Give me a hunger to know you like never before. I trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, does any, any of you ladies got to surround these ladies? I don't want them to leave here without having a friend. Oh, can we do that?
Before they leave, I want you to take them under your wing. We got to disciple them. We don't just turn them loose. Now I want to pray a prayer for healing. Um, if you need healing, I just want you to go back to your seats and I want you to stand with your hands open. We're going to pray a prayer of faith for healing before we leave. Amen. 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 If, if you need healing, I want everybody to sit down and I only want the people that need healing to stand up so we can just pray for the ones who need physical healing. you need physical healing, just, just open your hands up like this, and let's just trust God. Um, if you need physical healing, emotional, physical healing, you want, God's just done some good spiritual healing by bringing people into the family, but now let's pray for physical and emotional healing. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the spirit that's here. These people are, they're pretty, they're pretty like stoked because you're a good father, and our, and our belief is good now. And all things are possible for those who believe. So, Lord, we believe that by your stripes we were healed. We believe that the chastisement of our emotional healing is upon you. You took it to the cross. You carried our depression, our pains, our diseases, our sorrows. You carried them. And so we believe your word. You sent your word, it says in Psalms 107. That's how we're healed. You sent your word. And Jesus, you're the word. You became flesh, and now your word becomes flesh in all of us, and it heals us from the inside out. So we believe your word. All disease, leave these bodies. All sickness, leave these bodies. All pain and depression and discouragement, leave these bodies alone. These are children of God. We believe in your healing power. In Jesus' name, and just say amen if you believe it.